0: Um, we're uh, continuing our study now in the Gospel of Luke. We're in Luke chapter thirteen. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Luke thirteen. Or the passage we're going to be working through is printed for you in the bulletin. Um, we're going to be looking at the first nine verses. This is the word of the Lord to you, because He loves you. There were some present at that very, very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure, that if it should bear fruit next year, well and good, but if not... You can cut it down. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that it is challenging. We thank you that it is rich. We thank you that it is not what we would have said, what we would have thought, what we would have come up with for the truth of the world. And yet we find that it's life-giving. And so we ask that you would be our, our teacher, Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would take this text and uh, you know uh, each of the individual lives that are here. Would you apply the truth of this word to each of our individual lives? And would you call us to repentance? Um, that we would uh, take hold of Jesus, abide in Jesus, uh, who is our Lord and our hope and our Savior and our righteousness. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. So. Um... When in my first year uh, at seminary, I, w- I went to seminary in St. Louis this seminary called Covenant Theological Seminary, and uh, one of the things about Covenant Seminary that 's kind of their distinctive is that they uh, they want to train pastors and so one, you know one of the things that if you go to Covenant, uh, you have four semesters of preaching classes because they as pastors do a lot of preaching so you know where a lot of seminaries, you might only have one semester in your whole time in seminary on preaching at Covenant, you have four semesters something they really uh, um, hammer on quite a lot, and uh, and one of the things that's also good about their preaching classes is they have uh, some professors that are uh, particularly wise, experienced, and um, one of them in particular, my second semester at uh, Covenant, my first year there, um, was a guy named Zach Eswine, and uh, in your second semester of preaching, you have these small little practicum classes, about ten people, and you'd write sermons, and you'd give sermons to each other, and uh, we you know, we'd give feedback to one another, and it wasn't always exciting. You know, giving your first sermons and people telling you what they thought about them. But um, the uh, one of the things that, as a part of this class, that uh, S. Wine would do is, uh, he he would sit down. He's kind of one of those teachers. He'd sit down. He would kind of like, I'm on your level. Let's have a conversation. And so he'd sit on the front of the classroom on the on the step, kind of like this, and he'd just either talk about being a pastor or he would let us ask questions about things that we're going to face being a pastor, you know we're young guys and and I remember one uh one day it was pretty recently after the Virginia Tech shootings that had happened at uh at Virginia Tech, and the student had gone on and killed a number of students and um I had asked him what as pastors?" Uh, what should we do when um, tragedies happen, catastrophes happen? What should we say, you know, how do we process that? What should we tell people God wants to say to them in the midst of tragedies that are happening like that? Now, obviously, that's a big question for us this week um, with what's happening in Japan, um, that, uh, you know, one of the biggest earthquakes in a century, um, uh, the, le- the most recent Numbers I saw were 13,000 dead, but probably maybe tens of thousands more dead, um, as uh, many people are missing. Um, And you've seen, I'm sure, all the images and TV of what's happening. You know, there were a number of... fishing towns that um, on the coast that had built large walls that were meant to keep out big waves um, out of the town. And uh, the tsunami had just basically gone right over these walls. But what the walls ended up doing is instead of keeping the water out, they kept the water in. And so you have full towns that are just submerged with water that no one can get to the people. And so there's really no, no one really knows yet uh, how, how severe the damage is. And as we look at those images, what, um, how does God want us to process um, death, tragedy, that life is fragile? Um, how do we process that? Well, I'll tell you what's interesting. Um, I'll never forget that wine. when I asked him that question, without even flinching, he says, you go to Luke 13. Which is where we are in God's providence, that's where we are this morning. He says, you go to, and you give him Luke 13. And uh, the reason is because in Luke 13, um, you have uh, Jesus' disciples and some of the crowd coming and talking to him uh, about some kind of massacre that has happened sometime recently. And they're saying, "What's Jesus, what do we do with this? How do we process this? What do we make of this? What what is God saying? uh, What does God want to say to us through this? You can look there again at verse 1. There were some present... At the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So we don't know exactly what this episode was. You know, it was obviously some people were worshiping. Uh, Some Roman soldiers came in and just murdered them while they were worshiping. And uh, we don't know what this is, but uh, the, the Jewish historian Josephus from the first century, he tells us of a number of episodes similar to this. There was one episode in the, in the first century B.C. where at the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, the, uh, the, the Jews were, ended up throwing, they were uh, criticizing some ruler and, thro- and throwing uh, these little citrus fruits at them. And uh, the ruler had 6,000 uh, worshippers uh, just slaughtered in one day, 6,000. And Josephus has a number of accounts of Jews being slaughtered like that by the Ro- in the Roman Empire, and they're saying, why are people dying? And Jesus' response is likely, um, it's, it's likely not what we wanted to hear uh, or expect to hear. But essentially what Jesus says is that... Um, We should see death, we should see how fragile life is, and we should repent. Um, The fact that life is fragile and and could be taken at any moment should cause us to put our life in perspective. And to look at our life and say, what am I doing with my life? What is my life about? What am I giving my heart to? What um, what am I devoting myself to? What am I devoting my energy to? What what is what is happening? Because essentially, what Jesus is saying is that what happens to those people, there is no difference between us and them. There's no reason that shouldn't have been us. There's no reason uh, that that shouldn't have been us drowning. That we are, uh, they are no worse people, and you know that they're no worse people than we are. There's not an ounce of difference for us from uh, from. Us and them. And so what that means is that our lives, every day, every breath that we're having, um, the fact that you're sitting here alive is a gift to you of God's grace. It is purely God's grace to you. And, um, and so uh, Jesus' call is to repent and to make sure that your life ends up mattering. That's what—that's really the burden of this text, and so I want to reflect on this challenge, and I basically want to uh, tell you two things. First, that life is a gift, so repent. Life is a gift, so repent. And second, repentance produces fruit. When you repent, it produces fruit in your life. So first, life is a gift, so repent. Um, I have a friend named Joe, who I, he was a friend I was in seminary with, actually. He's in uh, a very similar kind of situation I am, mean, he's church planting. We were both going to church plant. We were. I think he was maybe the only other person in my class that was going to be church planting right out of seminary. Uh, he's in, in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, you know, maybe about 30, 35 people. Um, they've just moved out of their living room. They've been meeting in their living room. They grew out. They got into a new space. And uh, his wife uh, was pregnant with their second, uh, uh, second son, and, um just uh, maybe a month or two ago, um, she went into labor at twenty seven weeks. Her water broke and had a very fast um, labor had to run run into the hospital in a traumatic labor and you know they 're facing a, a situation similar to uh, what Sean and Brittany have been walking through and uh, except the um, you know a few things that happened was because the uh, the labor was so quick. Um, one of the things that, like in Sean and Brittany's case, um, they had about six days before her labor started, and was it six days? Is that right? Yeah, six days until Penny was actually born. Um, uh, th- in their case, uh, Henry, their son, came right away, and what that meant is they couldn't give him uh, steroids. And uh, uh, oftentimes, when you know a mother goes into uh, you know early labor, they would give steroids to help the lungs develop. Um, before the baby is born, and so um, Henry was born and uh, with weak lungs, didn't get to get uh, steroids, and um, and so obviously uh, this is uh, they're in the, the NICU, they're at Children's Hospital in um, in Columbus, and they have um, they have a blog that's kind of talking about as they're processing, watching their son, and uh, and facing the next few months of the trials that they're going to face with their baby, which is very similar, hearing many of similar things that Sean and Brittany are saying. And one of the things that he said is he was looking at his son who's uh, you know hooked up to tubes, he needs help breathing because his lungs are weak and they're really trying to get his lungs developed, is he's realizing that every single breath of his son uh, is a gift. They're thanking God for every little, every time his chest moves. They're thanking God for it. And then all of a sudden it occurred to him that every single breath that he has is a gift to him too. His life is is equally as fragile, is equally as much in God's hands. I mean, to us, uh, because every every breath that we have is a gift from God. Every day that we have, the fact that you're sitting here, and you're alive, and you're breathing, is God's gift to you. Um, God is intentionally uh, looking at your life. He's taking you very seriously, and saying, uh, uh, I, I want you to live today. I want you to be alive. And... Um, And this is sobering, but I think that this is exactly what Jesus is saying about um, how we should respond to how fragile life is. Look at verse 2 again. Do you think uh, that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then, you know, that, that was about a massacre. And then he brings up, uh, Jesus brings up another uh, incident about, we don't know exactly what happened here, about a, a, some tower. Uh, falling maybe on some workers or something like that in in Siloam, and uh, but here is kind of something closer to a you know natural disaster or, you know a catastrophe. It wasn't people being murdered, um, and he says, "Or those eighteen on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who live in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish." Now. You know, this is, in processing, this is what I hear Jesus saying, is that we generally look at, at, um, at devastation, uh, death, early death, and we say, how unfair, how uh, they didn't deserve that. That was, uh, um, how, how could this happen? This is unfair. And, and what we basically think is that our life of, of living on, that's kind of what's normal. And, uh, and, and we're shocked by, by death. And what Jesus is essentially saying, what I hear him saying, is the thing that should be so- shocking and surprising to us is that we're alive. We're no worse than they were. And yet God is sustaining our life. Um, we're sinners just like them, and God is sustaining our life and giving us life on, on, on top of it. And the shocking thing to be should be, this is what I hear Jesus saying, is that, that we should be alive. The fact that God is keeping us alive, that God is giving us another day, is a gift to us. And, um... And, you know, I I, I wouldn't have, um, I wouldn't think, you know, if someone was saying, how do I process this, you know, process uh, a tragedy in Japan, um, and someone came to me as a pastor, this is not what I would have come up with. You know, you want to come up with, they're in a better place, or God's... um, you know God's working these things out or um, something comforting and, and and certainly if someone's immediately in a, you know their family just died, you don't give them Luke thirteen, you give them compassion and warmth. but what Jesus is saying is in our position, um, we should understand that the fact that we're staying alive is a gift from god and um, and um, and what Jesus is implying is that we don't live like that. We don't live like our lives are a gift. Uh, we just coast through life and never take the time to realize that my life is a gift from God and to ask, why has he given it to me? Why has God given me this day, this breath, this uh, this year? And so the big message from this text is that we need to repent. Life is a gift, so repent. So what is repentance? Repentance. Um, there's many ways you could define what repentance is. Uh, but repentance is, um, is, on the one hand, is a turning away from a self-preserving life. It's a turning away from a self-preserving life and turning towards a God-glorifying life. It's turning from... A, so there's two sides of repentance. It's turning from something and turning to something. That's what, repent, what repentance means. It's kind of a turnaround. And so first, uh, repentance... Is turning from a self-preserving life. Now, generally, um, you know, if someone says to us, "Listen, you know, don't waste your life. Your uh, your life is a gift. Every day is a gift from God's hand. What are you doing with it? Snap out of it." Generally, the way that we interpret that, what that means is, uh, you know, stop being a bum and do something heroic. Do something extraordinary. Get out in the world. Uh, you know, you don't know about tomorrow. Make your life count. And the fact is, some of you might need to hear that. Some of you might need to hear that um, there is something that God's calling you to do. And you need Joshua 1. Be strong and courageous. Be fearless. Go do it. Trust God. You you know, don't don't dwell in security and be in your comfort zone, but go do it and be be brave and do it. But one of the things that that says, you know, the kind of message behind that is essentially, you know, don't be a wuss and (laughs) be strong, Right? Stop being a wuss and be strong. And, and it, Or another way of saying that is don't be weak, uh, be strong. Don't be weak in the world, be strong. And in some ways, that's kind of the opposite of what Jesus is saying. Because what Jesus is really pointing out is um, he's opening our eyes to the fact how fragile our lives are. And what repentance is about is not um, about saying that I'm strong, but embracing the fact that my life is fragile. Um, and... and uh, that everything that I have is a gift from God, is embracing that and living that and resting in that. And so, um, and so, uh, sorry, um, The re- see, you see, the reason that people do not follow Jesus and devote their life uh, to work for his kingdom is often because we are consumed with self-preservation. How can I preserve my life and make sure that my life is safe and, and comfortable? You know, that might be through skills or education or, a job or, uh, you know, being good looking or, or um, being fit. And uh, these are ways of preserving ourselves in trying to not be fragile. I don't want a fragile life. And what that is is that's very limiting, right? If you're trying to preserve your life, the only things you're going to be limited to are the things that make your life uh, secure and comfortable. And, um, and so our time and energy goes towards self-preservation. Listen to what Psalm 39 says. This is something I've been reflecting on just in my own uh, um, devotions with the Lord. O Lord, make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. So um, repentance is first about understanding that our life um, is fragile. And let me just ask you, what are the things in your life that give you the illusion that your life is not fragile? that your life is not a gift, it's something that you're preserving with your own strength, your own intuition, uh, ingenuity, your own uh, wisdom. What are the things that give you the illusion that your life isn't fragile? And Jesus says, wake up. The reason you're alive, the reason you're here, the reason you have a job, the reason you have a family, the reason you're healthy is because God gave that to you. It was his gift to you. You are no different than, than, who, uh, than uh, families devastated in Japan. You're no, they were no worse sinners than you. And yet, look, it's a gift to you. What are you going to do with the gift? And that turns uh, to the, second, um, the uh, second part of repentance is that repentance is turning from something, but it is turning towards something. Repentance is turning towards a God-glorifying life. Um, one of the main reasons, one of the main things that Jesus is getting at in this text is what is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of your life? Why do you get up in the morning? Why has God made you? Why has God given you a body, given you skills, given you a brain? Um, And, you know, I remember as a kid, I don't know if you were this way, this was like a big question to me as even an 8-year-old. I I mean, I had two big questions about the world. You know, do aliens exist? And what is the purpose of life? And they were both these kind of unanswerable mysteries um, of who knows no one knows the answer and so the, the question of what is the purpose of life was kind of this speculation where you kind of you kind of think about wow you know maybe it's about being happy or maybe you know uh, can i can i think you know speculate through the world and find out what is the meaning of life As christians we don't believe that we say that god has said to us what the meaning of life is in his word he has told us and one of the great you know the great lines of theology one of the most important um, summaries of theology in the whole church outside of the Bible comes from the Westminster Shorter Catechism which begins what is the chief end of man to glorify God and to enjoy him forever this is beautiful what is the chief end right it's one thing it's not two things it's one thing it's one coin with two sides the chief end of man is the glory of God and our joy and that those two things are one and the same they go together that's what the chief end of man is. That's what God's made us for. And so returning to that, God, glorifying God means um, that your life, you are made to show the world what God is like. So that people, when they encounter you, uh, there, it, there is a touch, a taste of this is who God is. Um, both, you know, this includes telling people about Jesus. This is uh, talking to people about what God has done in Christ. But it's also, it's your compassion. It's how you forgive people. It's how you listen to people. Um, it, it's how uh, you confet, confess your sin and trust and show people how good God is, that God receives sinners. And um, that glorifying God is that my whole existence, every gift that God has given me, everything that I'm good at, every whatever skills you are, whatever personable abilities you have, those things are made to show people this is the character of God. This is how beautiful God is. And, um, and so uh, turning, to a, turning to a God-glorifying life is knowing that there is nothing else that will give me as deep joy as beholding God's power You know, I mean, one of the things when we give our lives to serving God and saying, I want to see God showing up in my work, I want to see him showing up in in my marriage, uh, as I'm raising children, as uh, uh, as I'm building relationships, as I'm serving as a part of this church and doing what this church is, is I want to see God's power. I want to see it. I want to see his beauty. I want to see his love transforming people. I want to behold that is, is, uh, that's what a God-glorifying life is, is that is going to be the deeply satisfying joy, is to see those things, and I want to be a part of it. And, um, and, you know, what it doesn't mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, every conversation you have, you're trying to steer it to talk about Jesus. I mean, you are going to want to talk about Jesus if you have a God-glorifying life. You're going to want to talk about what Christ has done for you, but, um, you want to see the glory of God in everything, and that's why you exist. And so, um, Jesus says that as we look at tragedy, it should challenge us to say, what are we living for? What are the things that are, we're deeply valuing and we're giving our life to? And repentance is about embracing the fact that we're fragile and that life is a gift and that everything we have is a gift from God. So what happens when we repent? Well, um, repentance produces fruit in our life repentance produces fruit let me i if you turn to page three i think on page three of the bulletin there's a quote that Trevor, trev sent me actually this week that i wanted to share with you Is a quote by a pastor named doug wilson this is what he says my father taught me that there's a, a particular kind of soft teaching that creates hard hearts and there's a particular kind of hard teaching that creates tender hearts the unconverted human heart is a slab of concrete, and what is needed there is the jackhammer of grace. I love that image. Jackhammer of grace. And not the feather duster of indulgence. Feather dusters leave the hearts hard. But jackhammers break up the slab, and the big trucks of grace haul, away the, haul the chunks away. Then we can break up the fallow ground beneath the slab, seek the Lord, plant a crop, and pray for rain. Um, what Jesus is doing with his disciples here is he is taking a jackhammer to their heart. They're looking for a tender answer, and he gives them a hard answer. And the reason is because the hard answer is going is to jolt them. It's going to unsettle them. It's going to break up the ground. And, um, and because he knows that a, a repentant heart, a heart that knows that it is fragile, and that life is a gift, is the kind of ground in which God can grow fruit. Um, Look at what Jesus says in this parable, verse 6. And he told this parable A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered, Sir, let it alone for this year until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. So what we have here is a parable about a man who owns, uh, um, owns a vineyard. He owns a bunch of trees. And he's, there's one tree in particular that's not bearing any fruit. It's, uh, and, he, and his first response is, we cut it down. And one of the messages that this is saying is that God is looking for fruit in our lives. That's part of what his whole project to save us is to see fruit in our lives. God actually does care about results. He does. That's one of the things he's looking for. And so one of the things, uh, um, and so part of the process of looking at our lives and saying, what is, the, what is my life about, is, looking, is asking the question, is my life bearing fruit? This is a good question for any Christian to ask: Is God bearing fruit in my life? And one of the, you know one of the ways look back in your last year. Is has God bore fruit in your life? The glory of God of of have you seen God's power at work? Have you seen an answer to prayer? Have um have you is God using you to love people who who are, are feeling loved and alone? Um, are you? Taking risks and seeing God working, have you given, are there things that you can give God thanks for? Is there fruit in your life? You know, have, you set, have you set out to do certain things to serve God? That they, These are ways that I want to serve God and serve his kingdom. Have you gone and done those things? And uh, you know, if the answer is yes, then the response that we should have to that is the same thing that we should have to the fact that we're breathing and alive, is just say that was a gift from God. Thank you, God, that those things showed up in my life, that fruit showed up in my life. The answer is no. And, you know, by the way, we're all probably somewhere in a mixture of yes and no. Um, the, uh, what do you do? How does, where does fruit come from? Um, well, fruit comes through repenting. That's why the big Jesus, the big, me- the big Jesus, the big message that Jesus, uh, s- the big message from the big Jesus is uh, is that we should repent um, through turning uh, from our self-preservation and turning to Jesus. I mean, you look at this parable. You know, there's this, un, there's this tree that's not bearing fruit. Where is the hope for, the, for this tree in this parable? It's the vine dresser who says, don't cut it down. Let me, dig it, let me dig around it. Let me break up the ground around it. Let me put some manure. Let me work on this tree. And uh, that's the hope. The hope is not in the tree. The hope is in a vine dresser who's going to come and tend to the tree and produce life in it. And, you know, one of Jesus' most famous uh, teachings from John 15 on bearing fruit, this is the text for how how do we bear fruit, says this, Jesus says this, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. It's the person that abides in Jesus that bears much fruit. I mean, this is a great... I remember when I first became a Christian, I first read this. This cleared up so many things for us. That by faith, we attach ourselves to Jesus and his life comes into us. And so, how do we bear more fruit? Don't start bearing more fruit. It's repent and, and abide. Live in Jesus. You know, I love that image. Abiding in Jesus. Like, it's like he's a house. And you live in him. You know, you think of what a house gives you. It gives you protect, protect, um, protection. It gives you comfort. There's a family there. It feeds you. It, it strengthens you. It nourishes you. Um, that's what a house is. And Jesus says, come live in me, and I will live in you. Attach yourself to me, and you will bear fruit. And so the beginning of, you say, I want to bear fruit. I want to, I want to live a God of glorifying life. I, I want people to experience God when they encounter me. The place to go is to go to Jesus and just tell him that. Confess your sin to him and say, Jesus, that's what I want. I want. That's what I want for my life. He wants to give it to you. He doesn't want to just demand it from you. Jesus does not demand anything from you that he will not provide for you. He will give it to you. So trust in him. Let's pray. Our Lord, uh, we thank you for this word. Lord, you know that our hearts are troubled as uh, we look at people um, uh, hurting um, in Japan. Um, Our fellow uh, image bearers, humans made in your image, and our hearts hurt for them. We pray for your grace to them. As we see that our life uh, is a gift, we pray that you would give more gifts to them as well. And we pray that as you do give us our life, that we would not waste it, that we would trust in you, that we would repent, and uh, that you would produce fruit in us. Lord, we long to see your glory and you to produce fruit in us. Give us courage. Give us faith. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.